welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Syosa Public Library's Turn the Page podcast. Today, we are thrilled to have author Sean O'Brien on our podcast. Sean O'Brien has worked as the chief speechwriter to then Vice President Joe Biden and the special assistant to President Barack Obama, and then is the Pentagon as chief speechwriter to Director of Defense Ash Carter. He has written over 300 speeches as well as op-eds for national publications. And he is also part of the adjunct faculty at Georgetown University. Sean is the author of the new book that he has written for children, um, middle grade age, called White House Clubhouse. And it's an exciting blend of time travel and history and follows the adventure of two first children, Marissa and Clara, that travel back in time to the days of President Theodore Roosevelt in 1903 in an exciting adventure out west on a train adventure. So thank you so much, Sean, for being on our podcast today. We are thrilled to talk about this book. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's especially exciting to be talking to Syosset. Look, I made several trips out to Sagamore Hill uh, in the process of uh, uh, writing this book. And, you know, at one point I even just kind of sat on the, the porch on the rocking chairs and just kind of thinking about it. And it's really so beautiful out there. So I appreciate this chance to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I visited Sagamore Hill so many times and it's just like as the summer white house, there's just such a peace and serenity of the place. And then I found out so much about president Theodore Roosevelt that I think a lot of kids and readers of all ages will find so interesting and fascinating. I didn't realize he founded all those national parks and all the work he did out West like that. It was really fascinating. I felt like I knew him, like I knew that you know, he was, he did a lot of great things, you know, and in that time period, he was progressive for what he could do, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like we don't, he's kind of misunderstood, you know, there's so sure. much, you know, so I think this was a great introduction to kids about President Theodore Roosevelt. I thought it was really interesting, the book, and I especially liked how you writ- wrote from the perspective of his children, Mm, Um, about children because I feel like I've seen other time travel children's books um but never like written from the perspective of of the historical kids like it's always been about maybe you know president it would be president Roosevelt just and then the kids kind of chronicling around and following the adventure but they were the direct you know the direct um you know, speakers in the story, they were, you know, really driving the story forward. And I found that really interesting. Um, so the kids, yeah, um, yeah. yeah an incredible family, I, you know, I mean, yeah. like there were six kids and something like two dozen pets uh, at the White House at the time. Yeah. And there were even a few that they had to leave in Long Island. They couldn't bring, they couldn't bring the bear with them. Um, and so, you know, it, but each one of them uh, just kind of has this really, um, you know, prominent Washingtonian in her own right. Um, and, you know, Quentin went off to be a, you know, World War One pilot. And, you know, and Ethel, actually, uh, she's the reason we still have Sagamore Hill. She came back to, the, you know, the estate and she ended up preserving it. So, yeah, it, it's it's fun to actually just kind of, you know, 
put it as kids talking to kids as opposed to, you know, trying to connect with, uh, you know, grown up historical figures. And they're important and they're in the book. But yeah, I really enjoyed kind of trying to build those characters. Yeah, I think you did a great job. So these two sisters, um, the first children, because their mom is just been elected president and their sisters, yep. Marissa and, and Clara, and they discovered the secret tunnel in the White House um, that leads them back in time to the time of Teddy Roosevelt. And I thought it was so cool how you kind of like they found the clothing, like, and then it kind of they like, transformed mm -hmm. it like back. It was just like seamless because it was like, always oh, a piece of history like they found clothing from the time period of the roosevelt yeah we spent a lot of time trying to figure that one out <laughs> you know and, <laughs> and by we I, I say um you know my my kids actually uh this is kind of their idea to give to give them credit uh you know uh jay and claire um and um they uh you know, it had come up with the original concept of, you know, wouldn't it be cool to go back in time in the White House and, and all this. Um, but then also along the way, they were they were my toughest editors and things like, OK, yeah, but isn't anybody going to notice that they're wearing, you know, modern clothes? OK, well, so how are we going to get them into, you know, some, uh, some dresses that fit the period? And, all that? and you know, we we went through a whole bunch of different drafts and it was things like that that kept on changing. Uh, but I like I like where we ended up there. So I'm glad that you thought it kind of worked seamlessly there. Yeah, because I was like, it happened like very quickly. And I'm like, wow, they travel back in time. And it's like, it wasn't like just a direct jump, I feel like, which sometimes had like, it was like, a it just kind of seamlessly yeah. moved along. I'm like, wow, they're like, and there's the White House. It's like, you know, it has such historic significance. And it's like, they're living the history of the time. I thought that was really cool, like going back in time like that. Um, and you said the inspiration to your story, your, your daughters came up with the, the idea to this story. Yeah, um, it really did. And they ended up, um, kind of just adding a whole lot of, uh, you know, flavor to it along the way. Um, and they actually both wrote, you know, pieces of it too. There, there's, there's parts of the text that, that came straight from their path. Yeah. So I, I'm really I, proud of that. Yeah. And especially like writing, um, the Roosevelt's children like Quentin like I feel like he's such like he got a really good sense of humor like I felt like I really got you know a lot of the kids personalities like how did you do that so well like did you look at a lot of historic letters like how did you find like these characters voices from history like it was just really great how you did that yeah shout out to libraries here it, and and I actually went to the DC Public Library and I read uh, Alice Roosevelt's book. She wrote a, a, a biography. Um, several of the um, people who had worked there had also written biographies. Um, Quentin and Ethel hadn't actually written things, but they were written about in all of these things, uh, including an incident where uh, Quentin really did smuggle a pony uh, up to the second floor of the White House uh, in, in the elevator um, to bring to his brother, Archie, who was sick with the measles. So, you know, those type of things um, kind of became the seed of the story. But knowing that, okay, here's here's a kid who would do something like that. Let me take that character and try to bring it to life, right? And so eventually he sort of became, and same thing with his sister Ethel, they both became these characters that are, you know, they're fictional. They're created for the book, but they're really based on a lot of the things that we know about them. 
like Ethel, for example, apparently, you know, was much more mischievous uh, than Quentin. She just she was just better at getting away with it, uh, mm -hmm. according to the memoir. So, yeah. And I think that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool how we got to, like, you know, see the kids alive, like alive in the story um, to these real people that had lived, you know, long ago, the Quentin, Ethel, all the children. And I, I really loved that piece from the story that was really funny like learning about like all the animals that they had had as pets like mm -hmm. that was I think the kids will get a kick out of that too um, that was one of the things that kind of hatched our interest in the first place we actually had a little book on White House pets and you know yeah. we've got a bunch of different chapters on okay you know uh John Quincy Adams had an alligator which is strange and, yeah. and there were other things then you get to the Teddy Roosevelt chapter and it's like half the book <laughs> it's, it's all the crazy yeah. pets that you think of where it were there and that you know sort of reflects kind of who teddy roosevelt was too he was so um uh he was very impatient he was very you know all, very energetic uh i'm sure he would have gotten in trouble in class a lot for for yeah. not sitting still um and but he uh he loved the outdoors and he loved uh animals and so um you know the teddy bear it's actually named after him um, so it's, uh, uh, it, it's kind of natural that his kids would take after him, I think. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we also, um, learning about like in your research, was there any specific fact that you didn't even know, like about the Roosevelt family, like other interesting facts? I think you, you wove a lot into the story, but anything else like really interesting about the family? Well, yeah. So there was something that, you know, I didn't really know too much about um, Teddy Roosevelt's kind of early years. Like he grew up in a brownstone in, in New York and so did I. And and so things like that are kind of an interesting connection. Um, but that, you know, there was one tragic day when he lost both his wife and his mother um, to two separate illnesses. Um, and uh, then, you know, there was a daughter that was left behind that was Alice. Um, but he ended up kind of just heading out West and, you know, becoming a rancher and trying to kind of run away from all of his problems. And so he and Alice had this complicated relationship their whole life um, that sort of kind of stems from that and things like that. You know, when you find out the real human stories behind these historical figures uh, you find out, A, that they're absolutely not perfect. Um, you know, they're, they're, they they all have flaws. I think part of the reason that people ended up really catching on to the Hamilton musical is that Lin-Manuel Miranda did a very good job of just kind of capturing, you know, the imperfectness, the the pettiness, the, you know, the, the weirdness of that, you know, resides in everybody. But I think um, learning about, those sides of Teddy Roosevelt and his kids um, really kind of puts a human face on it. And to bring it sort of to the modern times, one of the things that I got to see, you know, working in the White House is all of these people who end up occupying those amazing spaces there. They're also very human. Right. So and, and so that's part of the idea that for the characters of Marissa and Clara, they don't like living there. They feel trapped. And so then this is just an escape, not just to get to another time, but just sort of to get out and have their own adventure, um, which I think, 
You know, I think all kids kind of feel in one way or another that it would be nice to get out and do, you know, have, have an adventure of their own. And, and of course, it's always nice to come home, though, after that, too. So it's kind of, you know, what sort of inspired a lot of the book. Yeah, they, the kids had, I know that the code names in the beginning of the story, I know even like just coming home from school seemed like a whole ordeal, like they had to go out of secret way out of the school. And just like you built that, like that tension up of like, wow, this is going to be very different now than how we were living before. So you saw from like yeah. being the first child, how difficult and just imagining even from an adult having to deal with that and then being in a kid and like, and having to deal with that, like that's very big change, you know? And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even things like the code names and stuff, you know, yeah. I ended up kind of finding out, you know, through research uh, and, you know, like, for example, um, I found out that uh, the way it works is the president picks a code name uh, and then their family has to pick code names that all have the same letter uh, as the president's code name. Same thing with the vice president. Um, and that's kind of the way of sort of grouping. So Al Gore, I don't remember what his code name was uh, when he was vice president, but I remembered reading that uh, one of his daughters, uh, you know, she was told that she had to pick a code name that began with S. So she went with Smurfette. Um, <laughs> and as she got older, she was in the White House for eight years. So here's this, you know, she's, she's a senior in high school and still being referred to as Smurfette by these people, with, you know, with sunglasses and, and, you know, protective details. And she hated it. So, you know, little things like that, I, I think are amazing. Yeah, that is, it's so interesting. Like you just, your um, knowledge that you bring to the story and like working in the White House, you could definitely like see from this kid's perspective, like, wow, mm. like, this is going to be an adventure. And it was a really adventurous story, like, because at that time, like train travel. Yeah, such a big part of life. Like it's, it's like to go back in time to that time period of like, train travel still being like a main way if you're going to go on a long trip. That was the way that you Absolutely. would really is the main way like we're so used to like airplanes and commercial travel now. So for kids to see like what it was like, you know, being on a train at that time period too. like, I think that it was very interesting, like all the adventures they went on on yeah. that because the train takes up a large part of the story. So it does, it does. And yeah, I mean, trains are just inherently cool. There's just yeah. like, you know, it, 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 there's yeah. so many stories that, that involve trains, but part of it is, you know, it's movement and it is something different um, from what, what you're expecting. And, you know, and the thing is, Teddy really did go on a big cross-country train trip in 1903, um, right right around the same time that this all takes place. Uh, I I played a little bit around with the locations where he ended up, but you know he really did end up. There's a point where he goes and visits Yellowstone National Park, uh, you know, which he had helped found up in uh, Montana, and then later in that real trip. He goes out to the Yosemite Valley and he meets a naturalist named John Muir, who's one of the inspirations for the there's a character in that yes. book. It's not directly him, but it's inspired by him and a number of others. Um, you know, so it's uh, Roosevelt, you know, left a lot of uh, just plain old stories, which as a speechwriter, I always was a story collector, too, because, you know, that that makes a good speech is if you can find a good story and mix it in. So this just kind of freed me from having to, having to come up with the speech side. I could go all story. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. And you were able to take like 
bits and pieces. I know you said in like the back, like we were explaining about the book, like you were able to take from like some of his actual words, like from bits and pieces from actual parts of his real, which was cool. Like you interwove into the story too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he left a lot of, you know, there were a lot of speeches and, you know, there was quotations things and, and I tried to, to make them work. And actually in the early drafts, you know, one of the big criticisms I was getting from my editor is, Hey, stop writing speeches here, write a story, you know? So what, what I did was I kind of cut down and, and made sure that if you're seeing a quote from him, that it actually fits within right. the, the flow and it contributes to the plot. So in some cases, those are quotes that he actually delivered on that trip. And then there's other ones that he wouldn't say, in, you know, till like 10 years later. But there, there's nothing wrong with kind of thinking that if somebody says something in a speech 10 years later, that those thoughts were already in his head, you know, nice right. note that ready to say privately to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like so many, I don't know if the official term is like Teddyisms, it's just like incorporated mm-hmm. like into speech over time. Um, and even like when he says bully, I didn't know like, that whole meaning of that word because there's a lot yeah. of places I think on Long Island there's also there's a actually a restaurant called Teddy's Bully Bar and I was like oh why is it called bully and then uh-huh. when I read this book I was like oh that makes complete sense he's using it like to mean like cool like yeah it like was a positive like, term that's exactly yeah. right yeah cool like he even you know there's a term that w- that we now commonly is called the bully pulpit uh you know which is you know it, it refers to being able to give a speech and kind of command attention um but it all stems from you know uh teddy roosevelt saying that the presidency was a bully pulpit by which he means it's just a cool platform it's you know you have this advantage over everybody else because when you start talking people will listen and right. i thought he used that bully pulpit really well do you know that that's one of the things that kind of marked his presidency so Exactly. Yeah. He was like a very good speaker. And I feel like even wasn't there, I could be wrong. I don't know if I'm mistaking him for someone else, but wasn't he like attempted, um, someone shot at him at one of his speeches? Yes. I, okay, exactly so I am right. remembering that and he actually still kept speaking or something like that. Something he happened. He, he kept speaking. Um, he was actually saved by the fact that while he was a very good speaker and very good quotable and all of that his speeches were ridiculously long yes. and that probably saved his life because apparently it was the folded up speech in his pocket, in his pocket. <laughs> right. that's what i was thinking something saved to and like he kept speaking yeah. he had that folded up so that was an interesting i, I didn't yeah. know about him too there's so many interesting things about teddy roosevelt too and like his i think like children don't really learn in school i could be wrong about the spanish-american war because i didn't right. really touch upon that so i liked um that through reading this book, kids could learn about that too, because that was such an important time in history. And yeah, you know, really, Texas wasn't, didn't we acquire that through? It's it's all complicated, like Puerto Rico, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, and then ended up being Cuba and the Philippines, right. and those became independent. And it's so complicated. And that war itself was kind of a weird one. There's, you know, right. I've become kind of interested in weird wars because we don't talk about them much, partially because we don't really even know what to say. Right. You know, my next book is going to be about the War of 1812, which, and, you know, and there's some amazing stories involved that, including some that happened out on Long Island, by the way, um, with the right. some sailing ships. But 
Nobody knows because partially because the World War of 1812 was started for strange reasons. It was controversial yeah. at the time. It ended weirdly, kind of in a tie, you know. And, and so the only people who know about the War of 1812 are Canadians. If you go up to, yeah, I was in Montreal and just all over the place. Yes. They were like, well, this is when we kicked the Americans out. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, in the, the, the Spanish-American War, I, um, when I when I used to work for Vice President Biden, he um, his offices, uh, the vice president's offices. So these are the offices that Kamala Harris now occupies um, are the old secretary of the Navy suites um, in the old executive office building. So this is really ornate, nice wooden type of uh, office that was Teddy Roosevelt's oh, um, wow. because he was assistant secretary of the Navy. So I spent a lot of time in his actual office. And that's where he basically started the Spanish-American War all on his own by, you know, ordering the fleet to go to Havana when, when, when his boss was on vacation. So it's it's just he's a very impetuous guy, um, very, you know, a, very controversial, really. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I tell that as a funny story, but that's a little messed up that, you know, he could launch yeah. a war that way. But that's who he was. And that's, you know, his connection to history. Like the Panama Canal came out of all right. of that, too. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you, how like, so you looked at letters and different, like, how did your whole process of coming to like, wanting to write this specifically about Teddy Roosevelt as the first book, and it, this is going to be a series, like, why would sure. you, want, why did you want to start with him specifically? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I find Teddy Roosevelt fascinating. And and there is a lot of, you know, really good books that have been written on the subject. So while I'd love to claim that I did a whole lot of original research, really, a lot of it was looking at what other people had written and, you know, and all that. But then when there were gaps to fill, then absolutely, I would go and I'd go through the stacks and I'd go, you know, and find original papers where I could. Um, as to why I'm starting with, with Teddy is... Um, it really does come down to the fact that we were fascinated with his family, just reading about these kids, reading about the pets, reading about the times. And also, to be honest, it's, you know, it's one of the easier ones. Uh, if you think about all the different presidential, you know, times, not many of them have had kind of school age children in the White House. Certainly didn't want to do anybody from, you know, the time that I was alive. I, I want some historical distance here. Um, and, you know, I think um, the the fact that, you know, as you were talking about, the fact that train travel was such a big thing, you know, 1900 in 1903, when this takes place, that's really was one of the biggest transformational moments in the country. So it was, um, you know, it, it was cool. And so then we ended up kind of exploring what type of thing. Originally, they weren't even going to leave the White House. It was just going to, they would have little adventures around there. But then we figured, no, this this story has to be bigger. And then we found this focal point that um, we, they need to have a mission. What's their mission going to be? And we we thought about the, the, the sequoias and the redwoods out in the forest, which were really very much in danger in 1903. And in actual fact, 95% of those forests did get cut down, but the 5% that remain are why we know about these trees and we can preserve them. It was a real possibility that they were all going to be gone. Um, and um, Roosevelt's one of the people who pre prevented that. And being out yeah. to California, like it's actually like magnificent seeing those parks. Like I went into the oh, big yeah. where the redwoods are, like 
Mm-hmm. It hasn't been like, it's, it's so magnificent and cool and just like so serene, like environment. And I think we forget even in that time period, you know, they were dealing with industrialists. People wanted to, they had environmental concerns in that time. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there were people who ended up, these things didn't happen by accident. There were people who right. ended up kind of fighting and to, to preserve things. And that's why we have what we have now. So, yeah. And it's important to remember that too, because it's, it's kind of a constant fight. It's, you know, it's always a struggle to make sure that these things get preserved, even, you know, as climate change is happening, you know, the, think about the, the forests out in, um, in Hawaii now that are never going to be the same right. in Maui. So, you know, part of that is nature, but part of that is really our impact on, on the world. So. It's, it's amazing. Like with the wildfires this year, we've had a lot of kids, you know, and, you know, adults um, asking for books for kids about um, wildfires because they've always been a thing. But I never remembered, especially in New York, we had that is the sky was like orange, like it was like the craziest thing. And a lot of kids you were, actually experienced it. Yeah. Yes. Like the, the, the smoke came to visit yeah. the New York area. Right. Yeah. Right. So a lot of kids and I think that they are becoming interested in, you know, these environmental like natural disasters, different things going on, because this year it just seems like we've been hit with so much. And I was actually in Maui only months before the yeah. wildfire and people have asked me, children, adults, like, how does that happen? Maui's sur- like surrounded by water. Like, how does that. Right. That comes yeah. And not realizing like how, dr- you know, how dry the environment can be, like, what are the environment factors that cause wildfires so i think that kids are interested in reading about books about environmental concerns yeah even in today because we connect to the past like you know there's always things that come up again you know like in history like you know history does repeat itself that's used all the time but it's true it's yeah yeah you know, so how can we do better, you know, for the future? And like, as you say, Roosevelt was a complicated figure in history and yep. he had a lot of good things, but he acted kind of like brash or just like kind of quickly about some other things. But, you know, absolutely. No, I mean, he's got a lousy record on, on some things. And and even when we talk about national parks, we have to remember that, you know, they had uh, a complicated relationship with Native Americans who were there right. first. And, you know, the Park Service has done some good strides lately to kind of reconcile that but originally it was like oh no this is private land every public land which means nobody can live here it's like whoa what you know so it's uh all of these things you know we can be grateful to previous generations for everything they did to to preserve and to set up things but we also all have a responsibility to kind of do a little better and i think think kids feel that keenly which is why it was important within this book, uh, you know, to sort of give these kids some ability to, you know, take action on their own uh, and actually do stuff, right? It, dare greatly is the phrase that, you know, which is a Roosevelt phrase, but the idea that everybody has to actually take some action or else you can't rely on things turning out okay. Exactly. Like we all need to like, everyone needs to take action and kids definitely see that. Like we all need to contribute. We need to, you know, set a good example. Yeah. To children too that this is important you know and not something we could just disregard because look at like what can happen as a consequence you know we get 100 yeah. yeah that can happen and i was wondering what you thought like if you were to give advice like to kids like who wanted to you know take action like to help their environment or if they wanted to go into like writing 
you know, mm-hmm. like what could they do? Like, what would be the best way that they would get into that? Yeah, well, I think in both cases, whether it's taking action or getting into writing, it's reading is a huge, huge amount of it. Um, because, you know, that's gives you perspectives, it gets you, you know, thinking and, you know, engage with everything. Uh, even, you know, even if you disagree with it, that's fine. That's, that's engaging. Um, but just, you know, the, as far as taking action goes, I, I am a big believer in doing something local if you can. Um, I was actually recently up in Vermont, um, and there was, uh, some terrible flooding that happened there and, you know, but we were, we were safe. We were in a, an area that really hadn't gotten hit that hard and, you know, listening to the radio, listening to all the things uh, and you kind of get this, Oh, isn't that terrible? Oh, well, you know, maybe we should contribute some money or something. And then when we're walking in downtown Hardwick, somebody basically just like asked, Hey, can you help come and muck out this house thing? And just suddenly now I, I volunteered to be standing there and actually like pulling things out of a basement that was flooded. And that mm-hmm. is some kind of direct action. You can really get paralyzed uh, to stay out of things and feel like, oh, you know, you come up with a million excuses. But, you know, I think kids rightly don't have much patience for that. They want to do things. And um, the main thing is to understand that, yes, you can actually, you may not change the world, but you can change one person's life. You can change their family's life. And that's really a good use of your time. Right. I think that that makes complete sense. And that kids know, like, I think that they realize themselves, like even doing small things, like helping their community, helping a friend with something like that goes a long way. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's sometimes it's even just a matter of speaking up. If you see something in in your school or, you know, you see bullying happen, it's really hard to speak up against that, but it's the right thing to do. They know. yeah. Yeah. And kids like they really like sense it. They're like inherently like sense, you know, and I think that they, I think that that'll, they try to help if they can, you know, to be a good yeah. friend and like speak up when they can. And that could be through writing if, you know, they yeah. don't feel comfortable. Like, is there a way, like if bullying is going on, you don't, you can like express it through writing. How can we make like our school better? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that, whatever they feel comfortable in ways of expressing themselves and writing is a different way of expressing themselves too. Hundred percent, absolutely. You know, so I like this is my first uh, published book. I'm I'm super excited about it, but I've been kind of writing my whole life, you know, and, and just like most of it is just stuff that you know nobody's ever seen or you know or or. But that that's okay. That's I think kids should always be writing and and coming up with stuff in whatever way they can, whether it's you know writing songs, writing poetry, writing stories, writing nonfiction, trying to write their own speeches. Hey, that's cool. Right. Um, how long did it take you to write this book and how difficult was that transition to go into like writing a book for children opposed to the other? Yeah. Done? So I, I was surprised at how easy it was that I became, you know, I guess I'm a children's author now, you know, it, 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 that was really kind of, you know, coming from not only being around my kids, but also reading a lot of children's fiction. Right. You know, my younger child, you know, she, she liked, uh, you know, to have me read to her for, you know, for years. And that was cool. I got, I got exposed to a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it was difficult, uh, you know, learning how to write long form fiction, uh, you know, it, over the course of about eight years from the the first draft to, 
to now, it was a lot of going back and forth and it, it was, you know, being told, hey, you just need to kind of take a step back and figure out how to shape characters and how to, you know, organize a story. And it was almost like a little, you know, mini graduate school kind of going through that process. Um, so I, I do think, you know, I'm in the process of writing the second book now and it is flowing but easier. Um, but it was a really, really neat learning process to, to get to this point. And, and I'm proud of how it turned out. Yeah, I think it turned out great. Like I find like sometimes when I have to read books for podcasts, this is definitely like I'm being 100% honest, like I'm not so in, in sometimes sure. like I'm not as enthused about but this, I could see a kid even like, you know, getting through this book, that's a reluctant reader, because there's so much to the book, even if you don't like history, like there's right. adventure to it. Like, if you're looking for a book about, you know, escapism, like it's time travel. So like, and even kids yeah. that don't like direct, like outright, it's not really fantasy, but like the element of time travel in it that they're able to time travel back to that time period. It's like you're learning about real historic figures. So I think that it'll appeal to a wide audience. Well, good. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah that, that's definitely the goal. And, <laughs> you know, I don't want it to feel like, okay, now we're having a history lesson. No, I, I yeah. want this to be fun. I want this to be the type of thing that, you know, uh, you know that after you've been told to turn your light out then then you're going to sneak a flashlight in under the blankets and keep going with it you know I, that's what i want i uh, think i read it in an hour and a half so i'm like i'm sure it's great faster than me so i really enjoyed it and um cool. it was really great and i can't wait for the next book you said which is going to focus on the war of 1812 War of 1812, yeah. And so that that's a time period most people don't know all that much about. I do know more than most because I used to work for the Navy. That, that's the only reason. So, you know, I, I was a speechwriter for the Secretary of the Navy at one point. And, you know, like I said, you end up collecting stories. You end up hearing things and, and you use it in speeches and different things. But also, it just got me interested in it. Right. So, and I think that, you know, okay, they've... Uh, They've had a train travel adventure. Now maybe we put them on some sailing ships or some horses or something. So Yeah. And the War of 1812, definitely, as you said before, like I learned very briefly about in school. I feel like everyone learns about the famous incident of Dolly Madison saving right. the portrait in the in the White House. Like that was the biggest thing that I remember and it going on fire. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. I think that's like what we all learn as kids. And then we really don't learn unless you, you know, take courses or you're, you know, taking an AP course or something where you really go into more in depth, but it's definitely, I feel embarrassed to say I'm pretty ignorant that time period in history. You shouldn't be because it's, you know, it is yeah. one of those sort of weird periods of time where it's just like, uh, okay, you know, why did that happen? And then you find out that like, you know, historians have been debating about that forever. And at the time, it was so controversial that people are actually fighting in the streets about whether to go to war or not. We think that type of stuff is modern, you know, we, we think, but, you know, this country has a great tradition of protest and, you know, debate and things. And it was really on full display during all of that. So, yeah. There's, yeah, a, there's a book called The Perilous Fight uh, that that really kind of ended up turning me on to what the whole you know, history of it is. Um, I, I, I'm blanking out on the author right now, but it was a, it was a good introduction to that time period. So, yeah. So that, that's going to be really great. Like readers are going to really devour this book very quickly. And then we're going to have our second and it's going to be in the white house clubhouse. That's right. Of course, again, with the yep. same characters, Marissa and Clara. 
That's right. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, they're, you know, their mom's still president. They're stuck okay. there. And so, but, uh, you know, they kind of use the White House. There's the clubhouse on, underground that connects them to all these different time periods. And that, forget about traveling time, just even having your own little hidden space uh, is, you know, is part of the appeal there. And my daughter actually fixed up the turret in our house. And, you know, that's that's a space I can barely fit into. But that's that's her hangout. Nice. So, yeah. so that's like the clubhouse. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's going to be really, really exciting. And we're so excited for this book coming out October 3rd, White House Clubhouse. Yeah. And the illustrations, I didn't want to talk about them too much because it says not final, but there are going to be illustrations in the. Absolutely. Yes. And what you have there, you know, so um, I actually now have the final. I know we're recording this, not uh video but so this is the final hardcover just just arrived um and yeah it's uh the you know i really like you know what ended up happening with all the different pictures um and you know um karen is the uh the illustrator and she did a fantastic job i really thought that they were great too and i like i like that the chapters were not so over long also when the illustrations broke up the story yeah. too, because i feel like those kinds of books like really help a reader. I find that it helps you read the story very quickly because there's nothing that could be worse sometimes when the chapters are super long and sometimes they don't even connect the thoughts together. So I thought that that was really well done. And I, I enjoyed the illustrations a lot, especially a lot of the train sequence illustrations. I thought the action was yeah played really well. That was exciting to read and then see the illustrations too. So I'm like, I hope these are in the final edition of the book and yeah, they are. And, and there's going to be a few more pictures that you get to see as well. Oh, so cool. you know, Karen, Karen Lee did all the illustrations, K-A-R-Y-N-L-E-E. -E, and she is fantastic. So, yeah, really, really happy with how this thing turned out. Yeah. So October 3rd, we'll expect to see this on bookshelves and at the library, um, White House Clubhouse. So thank you so much for speaking with me about this book today. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, my pleasure. This was great. I'll have to come see you up in Syosset. So. Yeah, that would that would be really great. Yeah, come and visit us here. All right, will do. All right, have a great day. Thanks, Sean. Okay, thank you. Bye -bye. We're now concluding this episode of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.